Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Football Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I'm your host, and I'm super excited today because I have a very special guest. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on her before I introduce her. To give you a little bit of background, our guest is a two-time National Women's Cup champion, NCAA Women's Cup champion, one as a player, one as an assistant coach. She is a former uh, Mac Herman Trophy finalist. Didn't know that about her. She is a um, a former professional player in the WSA for the New York Power. She is a, um, let's see, I, I'm looking at your bio right now because I've never really Googled you. Um, <laughs> she is the winningest coach in San Jose State history. She has uh, won several Mountain West tournament championships. And she, on top of all this amazing stuff, my favorite aspect about her is she is a dear friend and um, kind of a second mom to my children. And um, I just want to introduce, without further ado, our guest today is Lauren Hansen. Welcome, Lauren. Oh, thank you. This is, that was a really nice introduction. I wasn't expecting that. But um, uh, Well, I never Googled you me. and yeah, I never Googled you, and you have quite the resume. Some things I didn't add. She's also former assistant coach to Megan Rapino, and I believe good friend of Megan Rapino, right? Yeah, Megan and Rachel, her twin sister. Yeah, and um, you also um, are a Silicon Valley 40 under 40 person. <laughs> You're an Oregon Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame, and University of Portland Hall of Famer. That's pretty impressive, too. Um Anyways, there's so many things on here, but on top of all of that, like I said, um, for those of you listening, Lauren is a very close friend and um, would not want to do life without her, would not want to be a mom friend without her. She's a, a badass mom on top of all of this. And we're talking to her today because we want to kind of just dissect her a little bit about being a, a player at the highest level, a coach at the highest level, and then also a little bit about why she no longer coaches and some tips and um, and things that she can impart some wisdom on uh, for players looking to play in college and parents who are trying to help their daughter getting recruited. So anyways, like I said, welcome. Thank you for, for being on here and your time today. Yeah, it's thanks so for having me. This is this is awesome. It's such a, a cool podcast and such a great tool for young, young girls and families and parents um, just to learn from and all the different people that come on, I feel like it's invaluable for them, especially going through, you know, youth soccer all the way up to college and um, any opportunity you have like that to learn from a former player like Cassie herself and also a really good friend is is really cool and it's just pretty special to be on here. So thanks. Yeah, no, I'm stoked. Um, yeah, so we, um, let's dive in first. Let's talk a little bit about you as a player. Um, we're of the same generation, and um, you grew up in SoCal. Um, tell us a little bit about your club team, because I think that's impressive, and we have a lot of uh, like-minded friends on that team, too. I know. I know. I, I wish we actually played against each other, because that would have been, like, pretty cool to circle back and then be like, oh, you know, now so we're really good friends as adults with children who are playing soccer. But I know I don't think we actually ever played against each other, did no, we? No, we didn't. No, I wasn't on a, um, a really highly competitive club team. I just did ODP, but we're a year apart, so we never yeah. played with each other there either. 
We may have been at the old school regional camp in Wyoming though at some point. Oh, yes. <laughs> I should have included that in your bio that you also have a famous chicken dance that that was notorious from there as well. Yeah, it was special. I think that should be the highlight for sure. Yeah, and then I finally got to see it 20 some years later last year in Hawaii on a family vacation. <laughs> and I pulled a hamstring. So there we are. <laughs> but yeah, I um let's see. You asked about starting my, youth, yeah. my, my club experience. Okay. So I actually was fortunate to, um, begin playing club soccer at age, I think it was 11, um, which now would be like unheard of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I just was recruited from, you know, playing in rec. I did really well in rec and, uh, a couple of different clubs back in the day down in Southern California, there really was only a handful of, of clubs in the area, which which again, it's changed so much now, but um, blues were one of them. And then a, a club called Mission Viejo Soccer Club. And so um, I went and tried out for both of them. I made both of them. I really liked um, the coach of the Mission Viejo Soccer Club. He seemed like, I mean, he was a dad of one of the players and he just, but he seemed like he really knew what he was talking about and seemed very, um, I, don't, I don't, welcoming, I guess, and more like kind of a family environment. And so I was really drawn to that. And so, um, so I, I began my club career with them and um, that coach ended up retiring from coaching because he, just, he took us probably two years and then he couldn't really develop a, us as much anymore. He knew that um, he did an amazing job with, with our team and we had won state cup like the first two years and all that stuff. And again, that was back in the day when state cup was kind of the, the, the like a real tournament. tournament. <laughs> yeah, it was a real tournament. And that was the highlight of, of club soccer was to win state cup. There was no ECNL, there was none of that, right? So that was the elite kind of, I guess, what you were trying to achieve. Um, anyway, and so then an, a man named Abner Rogers, who is an incredible coach and mentor for me um, on and off the field, he is just really remarkable teacher of the game, very, um, you know, not, not a very loud coach at all, very quiet. Um, you know, was really good at just teaching the details of, of all aspects of the game um, and just enjoyed it. He was very passionate about soccer. And so he took our team, you know, from I think it was like U12, under 12, all the way through our U18, U19 age group until we all went to college. And that team was just a special team. I mean, there's some of my best friends. I still keep in touch with a lot of them. Um, we kind of hardly ever broke up very few people left the team. It stayed together all the way through. It was like a family. Um, you know, we brought a couple of new players on here and there, but for the most part, the kind of core part of the team stayed together. And, you know, again, really fortunate to be able to be on such a, a wonderful team. But I think it was a wonderful team because again, we were, you know, we all really loved each other and were really good friends on and off the field. So, um, we developed together and it was really just special because I don't think you see that that often now. Um, and all of us went and played division one soccer. So it just shows you how talented the team was. So a lot of us went and played, um, at a like pretty high level division one soccer, but the entire team went and played division one soccer was recruited and every single player did. So, um, that was pretty remarkable and, um, you know, hands, big hand, big hand applaud to Abner because he was such a good coach in developing us um yeah so that, and Abner still coaches right isn't he still he does coaching? yeah so he he only has he's kind of 
fading into retiring, but he only has one or two teams now, maybe just one younger team. And he actually coaches for the Blues now. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, but he still coaches. I don't think he'll ever give it up. I think he just enjoys it. Uh, I love hearing that because there aren't a lot of coaches that last that long and that want to be in it that long and that have that kind of success. Like you mentioned, I believe three, at least three of the girls on that team ended up at Cal with me. Mm -hmm. At least two for sure. I, I don't yeah. know. Was Brittany Kirk on that team too? Yep. No? yep. Okay, yeah. Three then. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you had players at Stanford, Portland. They were all top 10 programs in the country, not just D1 teams. So yeah, pretty, pretty awesome experience. And then you had an amazing decorated career at Portland. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, it's kind of funny just looking back at my soccer playing career, I kind of, you know, in the beginning, like I had said, I, I enjoyed Mission Viejo Soccer Club because it was almost, it was welcoming like a family. And then, you know, fast forwarding into the college recruiting process. And, you know, I was recruited by a lot of different schools, but, you know, to name a few, UNC, USC, Washington, um, University of Portland, Santa Clara, um, Florida. I mean, the list, you know, I had a lot uh, to mm -hmm. of schools. I had five recruiting, you know, official visits planned and back in the day before you verbally committed when you were a, a freshman or a sophomore, um, you actually took your official visits and then you decided where to go to school. So um, I went on my first visit to the University of Portland and, you know, I hadn't, I had met Clive one time and he actually came on a home visit to my house. Um, that was in the summer beforehand. And um, he showed us a video of the University of Portland and, and their fans. And it was remarkable. It was like 5,000 fans cheering for a women's soccer game, which again, like, you know, is, is not really, you know, not really something that you see very often, I think even still nowadays. So um, it's getting better, but, but back then it was, it was an anomaly. And so we were, I was like, you know, I looked at my parents and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to play in that stadium, you know, it just seemed really special. And, um, but I went on my first official visit there and I fell in love with the school and I fell in love with, it's a very small private school. Um, you know, it's only like 3000 students. So it's almost probably as big as a lot of people's high schools, but I love that about it because it was for me academically, it fit really well because the class sizes were small and I knew that I was going to get a lot of attention and, and be able to, achieve what I wanted academically. And I really needed help in that area. Um, and then, you know, on top of it, I just loved the team and they, how welcoming they were, but I loved Clive. He just, he was special. Um, he had an ability to connect with players like no other person I've ever seen before. I mean, any type of player, any personality, he just was so gifted in connecting with players um, from an, a personality standpoint and being able to manage and, and really like in loved you as a person um, and really believed in teaching life through soccer. And that was his, uh, his motto, you know? And so when we went there, you really felt that and you felt like he was going to care about you, not just because you were a great soccer player, but also because you know, he wanted you to be the best person that you could be too. So, um, you know, I, I committed literally the next day when I got home on the phone and, um, and yeah, and that's kind of, that was the beginning of my journey at the university of Portland. Um, it was, a, I mean, I could go on and on for a long time about my experience there for four years, but I can say without 
any hesitation that every single day I went to practice, I learned something. Um, I always felt like I had somebody to talk to that was on the staff, which I think is really important when you pick a, a college, you really need to connect with the coaching staff. Um, you really need to connect with the players and know that, you know, you're going to get along. I mean, you're spending four years of your life there and it is going to be your extended family. So it's super, super important. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and then just from an experience standpoint, I had a wild career there. I mean, I can, I can kind of throw little tidbits at you here, but like my freshman year, you know, University of Portland from a historical standpoint, I've been in the final four every single year up until that point for like, I think it was like eight seasons or something. And the year before they had lost to UNC in the semifinals of the NCAA, you know, championship um, final four. And then we came in, we had 12 of us as freshmen. We thought we were like the best thing since sliced bread. And we ended up getting whooped on and uh, actually didn't make the playoffs for the first time in like 15 years for the program. So it was incredibly sad, a really challenging time from in an individual standpoint, but also a like a program standpoint. And um, I'm sure Clive, that's where he got a lot of his gray hair from. But uh <laughs> But yeah, and then the next year, you know, we all kind of, we didn't get along. I'll say, I'll say that. Like, I think that was a huge part of it. The freshmen really conflicted with seniors. We had a, um, like a, a ten, tense relationship. Um, and then the next year after that, you know, I think all the egos kind of got checked at the door. And I remember Clive, this is how great he was, you know, the first practice back in the spring after the season, he basically said, leave your ego at the door. He brought us all in for a meeting and he's like, you better check it right now. And um, we just worked our tails off and everybody kind of made a commitment to, to really work on our relationships, but also off the field, but also like that that was never going to happen again for the program. Um, and so sophomore year, fast forward, we um, made it to the final four, which is pretty crazy to go from not making the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, we lost to, I think it was UCLA and that was actually at San Jose State, which is funny, ironic. Yeah. Um, and then, um, my, our junior year, um, September 11th happened. We had a player on the team who, sorry, you can stop me if I'm just, no, no, I love this. I think this is great. This is perfect. It's a fun story, but it's, it's not fun in this sense, you know, like just kind of shows you the challenges that you go through, you know, like college really is a time in your life where you grow so much as a person. Right. And there's a lot of things that happen, maybe not as extreme as I'm going to tell right now, but like that, that really help you, I guess, understand what life is about and, and really learn about life. Right. And so it's such a pivotal part in your, in your life to grow as a human being. And I think, again, it kind of goes back to why it's so important where you choose to go to spend your four years, because, um, that is really where you're going to find yourself. And, um, and so anyway, my, my junior year, September 11th happened. And, um, when we were actually, we were flying back from the East coast. So we flew back a day before that happened, which oh was God, crazy. Yeah. And the, and one of the moms who had come to watch her daughter play actually was on one of those flights and she had changed her flight, um, to make it to be on standby flight. So to come home earlier. And unfortunately it happened to be one of the flights that was um, you know, September 11th flight. So, um, I remember that day, like I can't even, I mean, it was so incredibly sad and we, 
you know, they let her know she was out on the soccer field training on her own, just shooting. And um, just what, what she went through with that and um, our team went through, it was, it was, it was crazy, but you know, Clive and the support from the school and everyone, I just feel like it, again, it was really pretty remarkable and special. Um, and anyway, so we went on in that year, we actually made it to the final four again. We lost to Carolina that year. And um, then in my senior year, uh, Clive actually in the spring of my senior year, he brought, he coached both teams at the time. So that's also unique. He had the men and the women and your husband played for him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, uh, Kelly and I played together our first year. I think then he went pro, right? Am I right mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, and so our junior year, um, he brought everyone into a meeting and he said, and we hadn't seen him for a while because he hadn't been at training and everyone's asking what's wrong. And they said he was kind of sick and he told us he had cancer um, and it was prostate cancer and it spread. Um, and it was one of the, the saddest days of my life um, to hear that because, you know, you are instantly really worried about somebody. And so he really struggled throughout that spring season. He wasn't around very much. Um, and then, you know, when we went into my senior season, we all knew, you know, we saw him, he had kind of started started coaching again, but he still didn't look very healthy. Um, and so we get into, you know, we made it to the final four. And I think at that point, you know, it wasn't about us at all. It wasn't about our program winning. It was about winning for him and making it special for him. So um, there's a lot of really amazing stories I can tell about him that just make him really a genuinely special coach. And one of them, I can ramble on about this, but I'll probably tell it in this podcast, um, was about a girl who was suspended. And then he ended up not playing her in the final four when we really needed her. And, um, and I remember like the look on his face and he was just like, no, we're going to play with our like third string keeper. <laughs> so, um, and then we ended up winning the, the championship that, that time. So yeah, he just, it just was a really great experience. And I know I've kind of gone on and on here, but I, I really loved it and um, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I learned so much there. So well, and what I love about all your stories, because I've, I've gotten a chance to listen to some of these, whether it was through you or whether it was through Kelly, my husband, um, he really shaped who you are as a person and how you became a coach and why. And I think that's, you know, you've dropped a, a few different hints on like the importance of finding the right program for these girls that might be listening or parents might be listening, but also um, the importance of, um, you know, that the group that you join and that school that you join is truly remarkable and can be, and it can be such a family environment. And I think it's a testament to him for, you know, having such an amazing group of women that he brought together but also just um, that he cared so much about you guys as people. And I think that mm -hmm. you went on um, to become that same type of coach. So um, would you say that's a big reason why you got into coaching after this? Or were you always on that path to wanting to be a coach? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was a big inspiration, him and Abner and, you know, Bill Irwin, who was also on the staff at, at University of Portland, he was the goalkeeper coach. Um, you know, I mean, they all had a really big impact on why I became a coach. And I just felt like I wanted to create that experience for young women, right? And like, kind of pay it forward what I had learned. And so, um, you know, coaching at the University of Oregon, I went to coach at the University of Oregon as the associate coach for three seasons. And I 
took a year off to have our second child. And then I got the head coaching job at San Jose state. And I think, you know, when I started at San Jose state, it was like, I'm absolutely going to run a program like very similar to the way that university of Portland was run, you know, and I did, I did that. Um, and I was really proud of what we did there and like just developed so many wonderful relationships there. And it was a really special, um, time in my life to be able to do that as a head coach, you know? And, um, I mean, a lot of people had asked a lot of times, like, you know, what was in my playing career, what was more special winning as a player, winning as a coach, like the, the NCAA championship. And I couldn't say, cause as a, you know, as an assistant at the time, um, and then I think a lot about like, what's more special winning as a player winning as a head coach. And I really don't know, but I, I know that it's so hard to bring a group of players together to try and achieve one thing and, you know, kind of manage different personalities and egos. And, but when it happens and everybody's on the same path with the same mission and journey, it's really special. So I mean, I kind of would think I would choose coaching over winning as a player, which is really weird to say. <laughs> well, it's also that it's just, it's, yeah, it's a, a larger job in the sense that, like you said, you're in charge of a lot more people. When you're a player, you're kind of in charge of yourself and you're contributing to that group for sure. Mm. But let's be, let's make sure our listeners know too, that like you took a San Jose state program that had kind of struggled in their past. They were a competitor in division one, but they were not kind of an elite competitor in the Mountain West um, uh, whole league. And I think that you took them from kind of a, not that they were no name, but they were definitely a smaller name to a Mm -hmm. very large name. I mean, by the time you stopped coaching, you had been the two-time coach of the year, I believe, right? And Mm -hmm. you had won, I think, two titles. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And you had gotten them to the NCAA tournament three. There you go, three. Um, and, and you grew like even physically, like if you were to be like as a San Jose native, somebody who would go to those games as a kid, by the time we went and watched some of your games, I mean, San Jose state used to play, you know, one time they played at Spartan stadium, but they never usually got precedent over the football team during that time. And so they would play on like a small side field that when the earthquakes played at the stadium, you changed all of that. It was an amazing, beautiful field. You got lights and a stadium there and you had a presence of of students and other teams come out to the games it was you truly having known what Portland was like visiting Kelly and you up there and being at Merlot like it it was like that you really Mm -hmm. transformed the entire program and it was very apparent just from the outside so I mean a huge testament to you as a coach I'm curious because I mean people can look up your bio and, and see a lot of your accolades you decided last year, right? The, Mm -hmm. the kind of transition from 21 to 22 to stop coaching. And so I'd love to get into kind of the, that progress of, of getting to that point. Yeah. It's, um, you know, like this is a real podcast, so I'm not going to sugarcoat things. So I think, uh, for me, it was a journey of, well, I'd been doing it since I, since I was out of college for the most part, because when I went and played professionally for the year that I did, the league folded, unfortunately. So then it was like, 
you know, fortunately for me, I was offered, Clive had actually passed away. Garrett took the head coaching job and then he offered me the assistant coaching job. So it did fall into my lap, collegiate coaching. It wasn't like I had intended to do that. Um, And I started at a very young age. I think it was like 22. Um, And so for, for, from all that time, from an assistant coach to associate head coach to head coach combined, I think I had been in the college game for 19 years and um, which is a, it's a long time. Right. And um, I think for me, and I lived, breathed everything soccer for so long. And I think, you know, I, before COVID, the year before COVID, I'd started to feel like I wasn't being able to spend enough time with our family. I wasn't, I didn't, even when I was there, I was gone like mentally because, or just checked out is a better way to describe it. Because, you know, from a collegiate coaching standpoint, you have to do a lot recruiting. So you're constantly thinking about like, or talking to recruits or you're gone on the road or, you know, it's not like, even if you're physically there, you're worrying about 28 other young women that you're, that are on your team. You're, you're trying to manage all of them on top of, um, you know, keeping up in the recruiting game. Um, and it's a constant, so you don't just turn it off when you go home. Some people can, um, some people probably are much better than I was at doing that. But for me, it wore on me really a lot. Um, it wore on me so much that I think I really stopped enjoying it as much as why, when I started. And I always felt like if you aren't enjoying what you're doing, then people can tell that, you know, and, and your team can tell, and it's, it's not enjoyable. So why, why are you going to keep doing it? You know? Um, And so, you know, I was fortunate to have the choice to be able to walk away from the game and really retire early, but I will say it was a three-year journey for me. And it started in 2019 where I was like, I just don't know if I want, I want to be able to be with my family more. Um, And then, you know, I was like, well, I'll give it one more year. And then 2020 came and we all know what happened in COVID. That was just crazy and wild. And that, that alone, I could do a whole nother seven podcasts on, but it was the hardest time in my coaching career. Um, Probably the hardest time in any player's career. It was, it was, it was unreal. Um, And it really kind of was the nail in the coffin for me. Um, And so you know, after that, I said, well, I can't quit in 2020, though, because that's kind of not fair for all these people that I recruited and also to myself to like, you know, finish on a year where I feel like I'm giving up on everyone. So then I went through 2021 and we had a very young team and they were awesome and I enjoyed it, but it just I didn't have the passion that I had for it anymore. And that's not fair to anyone. So I called the AD in the spring. And I, again, had talked a lot about it with my husband and I just was like, I can't do it anymore. So, um, well, and to, to be like, as a friend of yours, like, I, I feel like we were, we had these conversations for the last three years. Like you were, you were unsure of just, you know, wanting to continue. And as somebody who's working with female athletes, 10 to 18 on mental skills and some of that, would you say, the the change in the game especially with COVID and the mental health of players factored in at all to your decision oh absolutely that was a huge part of it I think you had already started before that I felt like players needed a lot more help from a you know as, as, as a coach you're really like there to listen and give advice and 
you know, you can do as much as you can, but you're not a counselor, you're not a psychologist, you know, but when you care so much about people, you, that's what you do. I mean, you try to help them in the best way that you can. And I can go into a number of different, you know, stories without naming names, but it, it absolutely, the athletic departments, they have to do a better job of providing resources for the players. And I think, you know, it's not necessarily, I'm not calling out San Jose state or I'm saying in general, there are so many more mental health um, problem, not problems, but like issues or it's more aware, there's more awareness toward it. And I think it's wonderful, but it's also, you know, you need to have the right support system for that. And one coach or two assistant coaches and along with it, they can't help as much as there is needed. Right. And so when you, then you go through some, a time like COVID and I mean, it was just amplified by a hundred Mm -hmm. And I can't, you know, I'll say from my perspective, not the players that wears on you as a coach. So you're just like, I mean, it's like emotional drain all the time. It's probably the way a psychologist or a psychiatrist feels right. Mm -hmm. And I think that took a lot. And from the player's perspective, it was emotionally draining. So I think it took a lot of the joy of the game away for mm-hmm. me. And that was a huge reason why I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So, well, and I know, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but our, our last week's podcast was about abuse in youth soccer. And we've talked a lot about abuse at female footballers because of the Sally Yates report and all that kind of stuff. And we're not just talking about abuse from coach to player or admin to player, but also, you know, parent to player, parent to coach, p- player to coach, like it's everywhere and all around. And Um, Mm -hmm. Would you say that any of that kind of stuff had anything to do with, or was also just mentally fatiguing for you at the end of your career, just dealing with the, like with all the mental health issues, it brings up a level of trauma for people. And when people have trauma, they don't, and, and there's not support systems in place to deal with that trauma and it falls on you as a coach. I know as a teacher, I feel that way too, where there's not enough support for my students and all the different issues they're going through in a classroom setting. I can, mm-hmm. and that weighs on me. And I feel like in the public education system, there's not enough support. So the system is failing me as a teacher. And it's also failing the students at times. Would mm-hmm. you say that accurate from a college standpoint too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that it needs to be better. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you can't have, you can't rely on on just the school support system, like the athletic department itself has to have their own support system for student athletes, because it's a totally different realm than, you know, the, the student that just goes, that goes to school and is going to work and, or whatever else, right. It's, it's totally different. It's totally separate. Student athletes have a very, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they're more elite or there's nothing there's no part of me that's saying that there's just, I'm just saying that they have so many other pressures to deal with besides going to school, enjoying being a college student and maybe you go to work or whatever else, right? Student athlete is a, it's a job. It's mm-hmm. a second job times a hundred because yeah. you physically have to maintain your body and you have to be elite at that. You mentally have to be elite on and off the field or court or whatever. And 
academically, you have to be elite because you have to keep great grades to be able to play. Mm -hmm. So there's three different areas. And then socially, you have to be elite. So nowadays, there's social media, there's all these things. You post one wrong thing, you could be kicked off the team, you could be out of the athletic department. So you are micromanaged in four different areas and you are expected to be elite in all of them. And if you can only imagine all of the pressure that comes with that, and then you add COVID into it and all these rules and everything else, if we're just talking about COVID, but even outside of that, it was already hard. Now you've got a player perspective, I can, but also from a coach, you're also managing every player's four aspects, like what you're talking about. Yeah. That's insane. So as a coach, you're responsible to manage all four of those. And you're responsible to make sure your players are elite in all four of them. And if mm-hmm. you, if you're, if one of those players doesn't do well academically, guess who gets taught, you know, the academic, the person who oversees academics now is like, why is your team not doing academically, doing well academically? Okay. Somebody posted something wrong socially or did something on social media that was wild or out there, whatever you name it, who's responsible for that? The person who manages that student athlete, the coach. So it's nuts. The the expectations of the I think what is focused on in soccer so much is the expectation of the athlete, but there's not enough um, talk about the expectation of a coach because with all the new things that we put on players, it's times five with the coaches and the administration. And then there's no support systems for like even coaches. coaches. There's no support yeah. system for coaches. No, there's yeah. very, no. And so like, this is not, I don't want this to come across to people as like, this is woe is me. Like, cause no, absolutely. Love my job was super passionate about it. And I knew that that was my job was to manage. That is your job to manage all these. It is your job and your responsibility to be responsible for their decisions and everything else. And you ultimately know that you're the one who's going to take the fall for it. If something mm-hmm. goes wrong, right? Like that is you walk into this job knowing that. However, if you want to go into like, we can go into so many different things on this podcast, but like, it's very interesting to me because it's like, yeah, I walk into this job knowing this and I loved it. But at the same time, the reality is I'm a female. I don't get paid the amount a head football coach gets paid, which is millions of dollars, or you could even at the lower levels, $300,000, $400,000 up. Okay to deal with all of these things and pressure. So I'm being paid peanuts compared to them, if you want to say that, okay? And I'm still doing the same job that they're doing. But so that's why you don't see, you know, a lot of people ask, why don't you see that very many female coaches coaching collegiate soccer? Well, there you go. I mean, let's see, if I got paid $400,000, to do that job, I bet you I wouldn't have quit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe I wouldn't have been a harder decision to walk away yeah. from. Do you know what totally. I mean? And and I think like being a female too, like like you mentioned, I remember when the kids were little, there aren't that many moms at, at the level you were coaching either. There's an aspect of family and the travel. Like you said, when you're making 500 plus a year, you can afford to have your kids in different places and and help you have help all the time you know there's just so many other things that come with that but when you aren't being paid that you've got you know all the same demands as a mom too and a family 
Uh, it's yeah. just so much. It's crazy. Like how many coaches had the women coaches had children at division one soccer that you knew of like you? But honestly, like it's, I, it's probably on two hands. That's it. Like that's it insane. literally is so a head female coach with children. So rare. It's not, yeah. it's rare. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so hard because I, and I'm not trying to bring all this up to give people no hope and to not go into coaching. We need more females in coaching, but like I said, this, this is a very real podcast and we want everyone to know that it's, it's not easy. Nothing in this soccer world is easy, whether you're a parent, a player, a coach, whatever. Um, but that shouldn't deter people from wanting to get involved in it. But there's also, I feel like you have knowledge that um, we don't get often get to hear from a college coach because they can't talk about things because they're still coaching. But from yeah. your perspective, as a parent of players, as a former coach, as a former elite player yourself, you've played every role there is, you know, what advice would you have for parents of players wanting to play collegiately or at high levels? Like, what are some things you think would be um, good tips and kind of inspirational advice in a way so that we don't end this on the most negative. <laughs> you know, no, like, I didn't want it to be negative because I no, do. I, I went mean, that direction. I went that again, direction. Again, I love, like, I think it's so cool that I was able to be, you know, I was able to coach at, at a high level for so long and I loved it. And I don't want people to think that I didn't. I think, you know, sometimes you come, it's just like anybody, any career too. You come to a place in your life where it's like that chapter needs, it's done. Like you just feel that feeling. And I was fortunate to be able to do that. Um, there's a lot of people who aren't, you know, and so, but I, I loved it. I loved every second of my journey in soccer and I'm so appreciative to be able to have been able to go through that journey, you know, and I would encourage any, there's so many more females out there coaching, which is so, it's so cool to see, you know, and I think that's only going to continue to snowball because young girls, young young, young players are going to see those females as role models, and then they're going to want to coach and they're going to get into it. And it's only going to make the game grow. Um, and so that's really special part about it, right? Like when I, when me and you were playing, I bet you, how many female coaches did you play for? One. <laughs> I, I she played, was assistant at Cal. That's it, JT. Yeah. I played for one head coaches though. None. Okay. Zero. So I played for one head coach and that was at the regional team level. And it was for what regional team is two weeks. That's it. That's the only experience I ever had playing for a female coach. Oh, Amy Griffin was, maybe she was a head. I don't know if she was head or assistant, but regional team too. And Leslie was the first time I saw uh, Leslie Gallimore, a woman in like a powerful role through ODP. She was like the region yeah. four director. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Leslie was the one that I played for. And Amy was her assistant. Yeah. And I had a great experience with them, but that's, but me and you, that's all we saw. And now though, there's so many more females out there. Do I think there's enough females coaching young women, young girls? No, but it's better, which is awesome. And it's only going to continue to get better. So there's a lot of positive that, you know, like you can take from this, but anyway, back to, sorry, what was well, your, no, no, but in talking about some of the negative aspects of whether it's the mental health or the abuse, that's not to take away from the fact that people want to be involved in soccer at high levels. It's more of these are the reasons why it's not growing faster. And mm. there are, and to be realistic, that there are issues within the sport that need to be changed so that we can grow to that 
having a lot more female role models and we'll get there. I think we believe we'll get there. It's just going to take time. It's going to, there's going to be need to be shifts and more supports in place at all levels. And, and we will get there, but for those parents or players listening who want to play collegiately or at high levels, what are some things that you can say now that you're not coaching um, (laughs) that you would recommend for them to do to for the recruitment process or whatever, any good tips that maybe I don't know that you would say whether you're a coach or maybe you couldn't say while you're a coach that that would be helpful. Uh, well, okay. If you're a player and you want to improve and get better, the best thing I can, I, I will just tell everybody this all the time. And I told players coming through that I was recruiting. They'd always ask me, what can I do to get better? What can I do this? What can I? And I would say ball in a wall. That's all you need is a ball and a wall. And you need to be passionate about the sport and want to get better from you, not from your parents. So that's number one. Like you have to love it so much. If you want to play at the division one level, you have to love the sport so much that you want to go out there on your own, like two or three times extra a week to get better. Like that, that the most elite players, they want to do that, right? There's so many crazy cool apps out there now that like we didn't have like Techni, Techni mm-hmm. skills, Techni soccer. I can't remember the ac- actual name, but it's Techni, T-E-C-H-N-E. It's an app. It was made by a former uh, division one. And I think she played the national team level Yale Aver- Averbush, I think. I don't, hopefully I pronounced that right. Anyway, un- un- I think it was Yale, but anyway. Un- oh, wait, I can't hear you. There you are. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's a, a great app, but I, I would say go out on your own, like be passionate about it. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I think it's the best thing you can do is, is put yourself in front of, well, make a list of your top schools from an academic, social, you know, we talked about kind of those four aspects, um, soccer, academics, social, location, those are all really important. Make a list, go visit the schools, meet the coaches and you know maybe they're not actually recruiting you and if you're so interested in that school then you've got to go to an ad camp that's the best way to put yourself in front of them and for them to see you and i know they may not be the most elite id camps people may say that they're trying to make money it's if you really want to go somewhere and they haven't actively reached out to you or recruited you put yourself in front of them be persistent there were so many times where i would get like this one girl email me like every single week. And it sounds funny. And then she'd put like funny headers, you know, or like subject lines. And I finally clicked on it because as collegiate coaches, we get like 250 plus emails a week. Hey coach, I'm interested, especially before tournaments. Hey coach, come watch me at this time. I'm sorry. We don't read those. Like Mm -hmm. I hate to say that, but nobody reads those emails. We go to the tournament. We have a list of teams that we want to watch. And then we go watch those teams and that's it. Mm-hmm. So very rarely do I read the emails. Um, yeah. Somebody else does, you know, but like, so that's probably a good tip. Um, I don't, you know, thinking about when you go visit actual, like if you're invited to visit on an unofficial visit, parents let your daughter or son or whoever's being recruited, let them talk and answer the college coaches questions. Don't answer the questions for them. Like, I love that. So many times I'd see parents answer questions when I'd ask a player something and I'd go, okay, do they not have their own voice? Like, because the way I ran our program was 
I want them to be an adult. They need to answer their own questions. They have to be responsible to take care of their own things, like make their own decisions, you know? And I know your child is probably young and whatever else, but like, let your daughter answer the questions. Totally. I love that yeah. one. For um, sure. I, don't know, I don't know if you have any other kind of specific ones, but I could go on and on. There's a lot of different choices in, in, in selecting a college. Again, I kind of like talked about this, but I think it's a feel and you really need to, to know, you know, I would ask the players when you go visit about the coaching staff. I would ask how, if they like them, I would, the players are going to be real with you. Like they're mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. You know, if they're unhappy, they're going to say something. So yeah. that's so true. I told that recently to a mom just cause I, I, I did that. And my sister had told me to do that cause she was recruited and I thought it was really helpful. And that was one of the reasons I didn't like one of the schools that I visited. It was, I won't say the name of the school, but it was like the girls weren't happy. And I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. And it was that feeling of like, this doesn't feel like a right fit. So um, it's good to know that's still the case 20 years later. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, this is super helpful. If you're a parent or a player listening, Lauren has all sorts of amazing stories and advice. And we might have to have her on another time to talk about different things in the soccer world because she's also just fun to have these conversations with we do this on our own time sometimes and with my husband as well and her husband oh yeah (laughs) we get we get deep I like it um but thank you so much for your wisdom your time your insights your stories um I've always just very much admired you looked up to you I know there's so many people in the soccer world I know you're not on social media but there are many people that follow us that know you and that would love to hear this so I might just tag them since I can't tag you. And uh, well, thanks um, for having me. For those of you that are listening, Cassie's pretty amazing. And I think it's so inspirational that she's, you know, started her own company business and this whole like platform for people to learn from. And it's really, really cool. Like we need more of this, especially in the female game. And so um, pass it along to anybody that you know, because it is pretty unique. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, you're gonna have to come back on another time, but thank you so much yeah, for your sure. time. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you in like 10 minutes when we go pick up our kids from school. <laughs> all, right. Bye. all right. Bye. Bye.